before we get started this morning, I just want to let you know about a couple of things. First of all, I can't do more than one thing at a time. There we go. <laughs> um, next Sunday, so a week from today, when you come in, I, I just want you to be prepared. Everything will be facing that way. Okay? So, so I just I, I don't want to freak you out too badly. What we're doing is next Sunday, right after the, uh, the church service, we're having a business meeting, and we're going to discuss some changes that we want to make uh, to our sanctuary. Um, it, it's more than just changing the chairs, so really more of a renovation uh, would probably be a, a better word. Um, there are these papers uh, that, that have a, a diagram that gives you an idea of what we're looking at, uh, just seating-wise, that are in the Coffee Fellowship area, that second table uh, on the right if you want to grab one of those so that you can kind of get an idea, it'll add some uh, seating. Um, it'll put the entrance and exits behind us, uh, which will be great. Um, we're going to take out these walls. Um, the stage will be over there. The sound booth will be across the street. No, we're not going to do stuff like that. Um, worry them just a little bit back there. Don't worry, we'll get you heater in the wintertime when we put you over there. Um, but just want you to be uh, aware of that. Um, I'm excited just uh, about the possibilities um, of it. And, and so if you want to, uh, Jim did this up for me, probably took him like three minutes. Takes forever, takes forever in Word when you draw a little line and you have to make it a certain length and then do the anyways. Um, you don't care, do you? Uh, Thanks for doing that, though, but that gives you a really good visual uh, picture. Uh, there will also be a money expenditure uh, that goes along with that. Um, we're, we're thinking about $30,000, so we have to approve that. Uh, but I want you to come next Sunday. We'll experience what worship facing that way uh, is like, and um, we'll have a business meeting afterwards and then um, talk about that and, and vote on it. So I just want to let you know, um, I asked somebody a while back, I said, hey, is this a crazy idea? What if we went ahead and changed it? And worship that Sunday for the vote, they said, no, unless you don't tell anybody, and then that's just crazy. So be sure to tell them, uh, prepare them ahead of time, and so that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, today we're, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the, the, um, the title of the series is Blueprint, God's Design for the Church. And today we're, we're talking about elders, we've come back around to that, we're going to begin in verse 17, we'll go through verse 25, and, and so Paul as he's writing to, this is Pastor Timothy in the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's been giving him instructions about the church, and he's given him instructions already about uh, who, who should be an elder, who should be a deacon, the qualifications for those uh, in there, um, uh, for the elder particularly. Uh, by the way, just so you, you know, we're all on the same page. Elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, um, those guys are all the same. That's the same person always in Scripture in the New Testament. Um, so we, we're not talking about a, a, a hierarchy kind of thing here. Elder is the pastor, um, just, just so you know, because I'm going to say elder a lot because that's what the Bible says. But you don't have to call me Elder Larry. <laughs> First of all, I'm not for some of you, and it sounds too much like Elderberry, and we're not going to do that. Um, Bishop L.H. Evans. Now, that doesn't have a good ring either. So um, T.D. Jakes, anyways, that was it. So, no, no, no. Um. <laughs> there were two kids that came from a, another denomination, and, and they're twins, and they're cute little kids, and we were helping their family uh, a lot. And 
And um, it didn't dawn on me. It probably been a couple of months. And I heard him say my name. And I said, what, what did you call me? And he looked really scared. I said, no, no, no. I just, I'm not sure I understood. I, I don't think I heard you. He said, Master Larry. <laughs> as much as I like that. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Larry, that works. Just don't know what kids hear whenever you tell them things, you know. Hi, my name's Master Larry. That's what he thought he heard. So, so let's just jump in uh, to the to the text, uh, to the to the Bible, and and then we'll we'll dig through, uh, dig through. We'll unpack uh, the text for us. Uh, he says here, beginning in verse seventeen, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And this is a parenthetical statement uh, meant for Timothy, verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also are good works conspicuous, and even those that are not hidden cannot remain. So Paul is, is writing to Timothy, he's, he's giving him some further instructions for his, his uh, elders and, and because Paul had told Timothy to appoint elders, and, and he's helping him just, just, just flesh it out. So, so I want us to unpack this using four words as we go through today. So the first word is going to be honor. Paul says uh, something interesting here, and, and we have to dig just a little bit. He says, let... The elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There's some, I don't know if you guys ever do this. It seems that that people have different ideas about a lot of things. There's three different ways that you can take this idea of double honor. One is where it's talking about twice the honor, so twice the respect. So the, the idea here is with the elder that, that because of the qualifications, because of the duties of an elder, that you should hold him in twice the honor uh, as any of the other leaders in the church. That, that's one idea. Uh, another idea, and, and Paul kind of kind of in verse 18 uh, leans into this one a little bit. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul's referring back to the Old Testament. The idea is this. Pastors are dumb oxes. No, that's not the idea. Um, at least he didn't say donkey. I mean, <laughs> um, the, the, the idea is this, that, that the ox would, would, would go around and they would tread the grain, and, and it wouldn't be right while he's there and he's working and there's food and he's hungry to put a muzzle on him and make him work and not be able to eat while he's working. So uh, actually, it's a smart thing. If you let him eat while he's working, he could probably work a little bit longer. Um, but but Paul is referring to this. Now, now this, this passage right here, this verse right here, uh, really is leaning into pay. So, so you should pay the guy is, is what he's saying. So one is, 
um, that there's double honor, there's, there's a, a higher honor than, than other leaders in the church. Uh, the other is twice the pay. That's not where I'm going to lean, um, because that, that would just be kind of odd. The, the third way that you could take this, and I think in the context particularly of what Paul is talking about here, is it, he's talking about honor and pay. In Hebrews chapter 13, um, Paul says, um, uh, verse, not Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, Somebody who knew Paul, certainly. Um, that was supposed to be funny. You guys just glossed over. Wow. The writer of Hebrews says, um, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, so that, uh, for that would be no advantage to you. So, so the idea I, I believe that Paul is getting at is this, is that for elders, and, and then he says something, the, the ones who rule well, particularly those who labor, the, the word is there, you're, you're working hard in preaching and teaching, is that, that they are worthy not only of your honor, of your respect, of your obedience, but also they have a right to be paid. And, and particularly, the, the reason I think this makes the most sense is when he's talking about especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That word labor has with it the idea that they're devoting all of their time to this, to the preaching and teaching. Remember, that was uh, the apostles early on uh, found themselves overwhelmed. Who, who wouldn't with a church that grew by 3,000 members in one day? Um, so they found themselves overwhelmed with some of the other things that were happening, and they, they, they said it's not good. There, there was a dispute, a, a, a problem uh, with distributing the food to the widows, and, and they said it's not good for us to to really let that be our primary thing that we do, let's delegate that to some, some good godly guys and let's focus on um, prayer and the word. And so what, what I see here that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy is, is not only do they, are, are, are they owe the, the honor, the respect, that obedience, and that's not a fun word that we like to say, um, but he says those who rule well, we also don't like that word either, um, he said, but those who devote, particularly those who rule well and devote their time to that, that they should be able to earn a living from it, really, basically, that they should get support. Now, Paul himself didn't claim that. Um, in, in fact, Paul made a big deal out of it because, obviously, uh, there were some people who were accusing Paul of just being out for money, and Paul says, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Even though I would have had a right for that, I earned my own money so that I wasn't a burden on any church that I went to. So what here, I, I see these saying that this idea of honor is not twice the pay. <laughs> it's not hold them twice as high in respect as anybody else. I believe Paul's talking about double honor, that respect and the support, uh, the financial support uh, from the church. So that was the first word. The second one is accusation. That's always fun. I haven't been in too many churches in my life, but I've been around a few. Um, and, and, and it's a weird thing that we see, I, I, I think, uh, with pastors, uh, with elders. Um, we know that they are held, that qualifications for a pastor are high, uh, for elders. Uh, we know that they are held to a higher standard than, than the average person, even though... Um, I believe if you go back through in Titus and in Timothy and read those, 
what you're seeing is that these are just good godly guys. I, I think everybody except with the exception of being able to teach, which is a requirement in Timothy for an elder. Every man should follow, should, should be able to meet those qualifications. Maybe not the calling, some are called. But the accusation thing is kind of kind of weird for me, uh, the way that, that it looks oftentimes in churches. Let, let me read that passage again for you, those two verses, three verses, and then we'll kind of talk about it a bit. He says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. A couple of words there that, that, that I always wanted, want us to get a, a little bit better idea. One of them is admit. He says, don't, don't admit a charge against an elder, right? So the idea behind this word admit is, uh, I'll read it for you exactly, is accept near. You get that idea? So, so don't, don't even accept near a charge against an elder unless, and we'll, we'll get into that. The, the idea that, that I get from that, and, and I actually experienced this, uh, I think just earlier this week, I was walking over to Dave's for breakfast, and it, it's, it wasn't early, early morning, but early enough, you know, I haven't had all the coffee that I would have wanted, and so not all the brain cells were firing, and, and there was just something that just kind of just caught me, you know, I'm walking along, I'm, you know, kind of got my head down, and I look up, and, and here's this cute, big, fluffy skunk, and, and I don't know, if you guys, they kind of waddle, you know, when they walk, just, you know, he's doing this. And he comes right at me and his tail sticks up. And, um, and, and I did what Paul said right here. I didn't admit near. Um, now, I didn't have to run. I'm sure I could have outrun him. I didn't have to run, but I did go out into the street and around and gave him a wide berth. The Apostle Paul says, look, when we're talking about elders, the, these pastor guys you don't just need to let people sling mud. You don't just need to, I, I, to me, it looks like this a lot of times. Let's throw spaghetti on the wall and let's just keep throwing it and keep throwing it and something's liable to stick, right? Have you ever seen that? Okay, a few of you. I've seen it um, and it's not good. It's not healthy for the church. It's not good for the pastor. So Paul says it, when it comes to an accusation, you don't even let one come near unless, and then he, he gives uh, some qualifications for that. So the second thing that, that, that I want us to understand uh, a word is where he says charge. Don't admit a charge. This is a charge of sin. Now, you would think that that would be understood pretty easily, but we misunderstand this a whole lot in, in church life. Don't admit a charge of sin is what Paul's saying against an elder, a pastor, right? So let me give you three things here that, that I think we need to be really careful about with this. Um, first of all, it's not in your notes. You can add it inside. There is no perfect pastor. Jesus is that shepherd. Jesus is the only perfect shepherd. Uh, the rest of us are not, right? Although we think that because of the qualifications of a pastor, because of the qualification of an elder, that they're, they're supposed to be perfect, they're not. You will be sorely disappointed if you hang out with me just for a little while. Um, it, it won't take long. 
there's not one. Perfection is not one of the qualifications for an elder, okay? So three things. One, uh, when we're talking about this accusation, that it has to be an accusation of sin, not a violation of preference. Let me explain what I mean by that. This has to be that this elder has sinned, not that he made a decision you didn't like. Does that make sense to you? This has to be that this elder has sinned, not that he didn't, wasn't persuaded by the, the, in the direction that you wanted him to be persuaded. Does that make sense to you? Now, now let me say really quickly, I'm not trying to address any underlying issue here. <laughs> we don't have any of those right now in our church. I just want us to understand what Scripture's saying. Um, I, I love those kind of things where it says, rule number one, mama's always right. Rule number two, when mama is wrong, see rule number one. Is that, <laughs> you understand? In this case, we kind of have one of those. If the pastor has sinned, you address that. And then we, we have a couple more things in here with that. But if the pastor, if you simply don't like something he did, then refer back to Hebrews chapter 13. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions. It doesn't mean you can't talk. Doesn't mean you, you can't try to persuade. We all do that. That's one of the reasons that, that the way that we function in a church is usually through groups. We have our church council. We have um, our, our leadership team. And, and, and I've, I've messed up quite enough uh, to know that it's better to have a group. Some of them can keep me from messing up. And, and even if they can't, we all messed up together, <laughs> right? That, that, that we, we at least it was thought over, it was prayed over, that we had counsel uh, in there. But what Paul is talking about here when he says don't admit a charge against an elder, he's talking about a sin. And it has to be an accusation of sin, not just that, well, I just don't like, um, I don't like his hairdo. I don't like his new shoes. Some of you are looking at my shoes now. Huh? Um, yeah. The hair. I'm, I'm letting it grow out. I saw about five of them sticking up right here. Thank you. I won't even go there, but. Um, that's what he's talking about. So the second thing is, first is, it has to be an accusation of sin, not a violation of preference. Now, Lana, let me tell you, a good leader will actually lead, not dictate. It's not talking about that kind of thing. Second, it has to have been witnessed by two or three others. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, I, I know you can read, uh, be careful doing Bible study with Google, um, but, but you can read commentaries and and, and there are a couple of different ways that, 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 that they say this could be taken. One is that two or three come with them to witness the interchange. I, I don't really see that here. The way Paul says it is, um, except on the evidence, is the way the English Standard Version uh, writes that, of two or three witnesses. That, that, would, that would make me think, because of that wording, is that they've witnessed the sin. That that is, that is, they were there. They can say, no, this happened. Now, 
And, and the reason I want to make that distinction is because one of the things that we don't want to do, whether it's with the elder or with anybody else, that you get upset about somebody or with someone and you go get two or three others and get them upset about that too. And then you go with them. Does, do you understand the difference? The second one is not right. I mean, that's gossip. I can, and, and in fact, one of the hard things about that is you can't fix that. If you're angry at me, you can come to me. I can confess you are so right. What I did, that was wrong. That was a sin. And, and I, I ask you to forgive me. We can, we can take care of that. We can reconcile that. But when you get up, upset or angry at me, but, and let's say because of a real sin, I'm pointing, pointing that way, no offense. When you get upset at me, um, you can just sleep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's why I want that at the back. That's what I'm saying. Um, poor guy. Now he's going to have to walk back in with everybody looking at him. And let's all stay. No, I'm kidding. Let's don't. If you're upset with me because of a real offense, sin that I've committed against you, and you go tell three other people, I can reconcile with you, but I can't do a thing about relationship with those people. I've been there. I can. Because their offense is because of my offense with you. The only way that that can happen is is you're going to have to go to them and say, it has been reconciled, and even that is hard. Usually there's going to be some residual uh, break in relationship with them. So it has to have been witnessed by two or three others, people who have witnessed the the sin, the accusation. Third, the purpose in all this is restoration. It, It is repentance from sin. This is where I've seen it get really weird with pastors. How many of you believe pastors can sin? Yeah, good, there's like five of you that are fooled. No, And they can sin against somebody else. I, I've seen churches, and, and it's usually, usually there's a whole lot of junk that leads up to this. But, but there's a lot of strife and a lot of dissension. A lot of things happening with a pastor. And, and I've seen it. I'm going to give you a visual here. The pastor has to like put every step perfect. Now, they're throwing mud at him all along the way. But he has to put every step perfect just perfect and if he gets knocked off by some of the mud that's being thrown and he says something in anger oh that's it got to get rid of the pastor he's out of here paul says here particularly that this idea of bringing accusation against a pastor is so that there's repentance that there's restoration look at the way he puts it he says as for those who persist in sin So in other words, if this happens, if the pastor or the elder has sinned, somebody comes, they bring two or three witnesses, they sit down, and the pastor says, you know what, you are so right. I I spoke in anger, I was harsh, and that was wrong. Will you forgive me? The cool thing about the two or three witnesses is they they get to witness the reconciliation as well. At that point, it's reconciliation. Isn't that what we go for? Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about that. And it's done. But if you've got an elder who persists in it, an elder who maybe gets defense, I didn't sin or, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever excuses they can come up with, or it's a continual kind of thing, then Paul says, 
<laughs> rebuke them in the presence of all. Now this gets tricky. Does he mean in the presence of like everybody and their dog? Um, in the presence of all the congregation or the presence of all the elders, I would lend toward the last part, even though we don't have a plurality of elders here. Because here's what he says. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest, the rest of who? The rest of the elders uh, <laughs> may stand in fear. This isn't a, oh no, they're going to nix me at any moment. But it's a fear of falling into sin. So the accusation that, that Paul's talking about here, it has to be an accusation of sin. It, if you don't like something the pastor or the elder is doing, go talk to him. But, but that's not a church discipline kind of thing. You know, it, you may find out he said, he might, I might say, or he might, if it's, you're from a different church, you might say, you know what, never really thought about it that way. That would be so much better if we did that. Or I didn't realize that the burden that change was putting on, you know, this particular group or, or person. Um, and, and and you may have you may have persuaded him. Uh, you may say, you know what, we we thought about that, we prayed about it, we we this is this is what we feel like that, that we need to do. And you may have to say, okay. In any case, it's not a sin issue at that point. The third word that we get to is ordination. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy uh, verse 22, and then I'm going to skip uh, 23 for the moment. We'll come back to that one. He says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of other people appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Here's what Paul is saying here. When you're, when you're getting elders, when you're, when you're getting ready to appoint, he would say, or we would say, ordain elders, um, take your time. <laughs> um, have a chance to observe them in a lot of situations. Uh, what, what Paul's talking about Timothy here, he said, and, and, and don't fall into the sins of others. The idea is this, that, it, that if you appoint an elder who's prone to sin, then you are a party in that sin. That, that, that you've, you've put him in a position where he's going to be able to, to, to sin and hurt the church. And, and in that sense, you're a party of that. And then Paul says that the reason is here, uh, you, you want to watch a guy over a period of time because those sins aren't going to remain hidden. Over time, you'll figure it out. I mean, um, I, I like doing the melodramas, and, and, and I can act okay there. Um, but you catch me in line at Walmart or at Allsup's or... Weaving in and out of the boxes at Family Dollar. Um, you, you catch me in those other instances in life. And man, it's just hard. And it's hard to act like that. It's hard to act uh, continuously uh, in a small community, particularly for a long period of time. People get to know you. They just do. And that's what Paul's saying here. So the first one is that those who would be elders are to be proven over time. So, so you want some time to be able to observe go too quickly, then you're likely going to make a mistake. You want some time for, to, to be able to observe. The second one is this, and, and this is, uh, uh, for me, this one is almost as big as the first one. The call to be an elder should be obvious to the congregation. Now, we live in a we vote society. By the way, November's coming, vote. If you haven't registered, you might have just missed it. I don't know. Um, but... But we don't get the vote on everything, particularly uh, in Scripture. 
but, but I love the way Kurt and I were, were talking one day, and I said, man, you know, this, this idea of like, it's just weird for me. We don't see the church voting to call pastors. I know that's the way we do stuff. We don't see a church voting to ordain people. And, and, and I love the way Kurt said one time, he goes, yeah, you're right. But really what we should look at that as is that is the congregation's affirmation that, yes, we see that God has put his call on their life. Now, that feels biblical to me. And so what we want to do uh, whenever we get to the place uh, that, that we ho- hopefully can have more than just one elder pastor guy um, that, that it's, it's, it's an affirmation that, that whenever this guy is presented before you, you're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, we see that. We, we affirm, we see God's call uh, on this guy uh, as an elder. So now let's do the fun part as we get ready to head into communion. By the way, we use grape juice, just so you know. Um, no biblical prohibition against that. I don't know how much how much alcohol can you give a minor before it's anyways. Um, <laughs> don't don't know a minor amount. Thank you. The punniest guy I know. Um, so wine is is our last word here, and, and Paul says something, and 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 I always want to be really careful. I don't want to make the Bible say something that it's not. Um, but Paul says something here. Uh, that seems kind of odd. One, one of the, the um, commentators noted this could have been Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he, he could be that this thought just kind of hit Paul. Oh, by the way, and he might have written this over in the margin of the letter, and then as it was copied, was put in there. Um, others say, no, Paul put it right where it needed to be. In, in any case, it's a parenthetical statement. It would say, oh, by the way, kind of statement. And he says this, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach uh, and your frequent ailments. Now, now I've, I've, I've talked, you know, pastor guys, we have weird conversations, yeah. We have weird conversations uh, around tables and stuff. And, and so uh, we've had these, look there, Paul says we can drink wine. I said, well, my name's Larry, it's not Timothy, first of all. Paul's talking to Timothy here. I, I do think we can pull some principles from this. One is... An, an interesting thing, obviously, Timothy had been abstaining from all wine. So did you catch that in there? Timothy hadn't been drinking any wine. Timothy was a teetotaling Baptist. <laughs> um, we don't know he's Baptist, uh, teetotaler. Timothy was abstaining, uh, obviously, if he's going to abstain from wine, which was really a part of the culture then, then he probably wasn't, wasn't taking any alcohol at all. And Paul had to tell him, hey, Timothy, and, and the word here is, uh, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine. The idea is here, Timothy, because of your stomach, because of these ailments that you have, mix some wine with your water. And I've heard all kinds of speculation that the water was bad. It was from Mexico or no. Um, and, but, but whatever, it's obviously... Uh, Paul is, is, Timothy had been abstaining. Paul's telling Timothy to mix a little bit. The way it sounds here is with your water. Don't just drink straight water. Drink water with a little bit of wine. Okay, that's it. Let's go. No, I'm kidding. So here's, here's what I pull from that. First is, for elders particularly, 
Because Paul is talking about elders in this whole realm, and Timothy is an elder, a pastor. Elders need to be really careful that they, that they avoid even the appearance of sin. That makes sense to you? Uh, I don't drink. Um, there are a couple of good reasons that I don't. One is alcoholism runs rampant in my family. Uh, and, and so I, I'm not one to take many gambles. I'm not going to take that gamble. I um, had a problem with it before I became a Christian, which is sad when you realize I became a Christian at 15. Um, family, I have family members have a problem with it. So for me, that, that's just not wise at all. Second, though, even if that wasn't an issue for me, um, I wouldn't simply because I don't have to and I don't want to cause any, any opportunity for Satan. Uh, I, I've told you the story one time. It was a serious, I don't have to make stuff up like this. It just happens to me. I was drinking coffee in the Western. I got ready to leave out the cafe side because I'm real careful about that kind of thing. And the doorknob's gone. And I think the guys in there had been waiting for this because they all start laughing. They say, you're going to have to go out through the bar door. And I'm like, and I don't know if you've looked at that, but that step's like that high. I think if you can't make it through the step, they call the police when you leave. I don't know. And I thought, great. So it's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm going to stumble coming out of the bar. Um, there's just not going to be any living that down. I had to wait for a guy one time over there. He was interviewing for a job, and I was going to give him a ride back home. And um, It was taking a while. You know who I'm talking about. And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and finally I'm getting tired. There's nowhere to sit over because it was lunchtime, and they were packed, and I just went and sat by the bar. I know people there um, from Alsip's. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just from town, I just knew people. So I'm sitting and I'm talking with them and, you know, we're chatting and, you know, I'm telling them I'm waiting for somebody. And the, the bartender comes and says, can I get you something to drink? And the guy next to me is watching. <laughs> and I said, I said, nah. And he goes, he's a pastor. He can't drink. He goes, well, I can get you a glass of water. And I said, sir, there's nothing you can put in a glass and put in front of me that won't get me in trouble. Must be a scotch and water kind of guy. That's what somebody would think. So for, for pastors, for elders, we need to be really careful that we avoid the appearance of sin. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. I know you're like, ah, oh, but the Baptist faith and message does. It doesn't, actually. It does say not to be drunk. Okay? So for me... Uh, I want to avoid the appearance of sin. And it's not just with that, it's with other things too. But the second one is kind of interesting for me. Paul tells Timothy, you need to, you know, Timothy, you need to drink a, a little bit of wine. Mix some wine with your water. You need to drink that for your health's sake. Now, this is something pastors blow big time. I think what Paul's telling Timothy here is, Timothy, you need to take care to be healthy. You need to take care of yourself. Um, I was giving Kurt a little bit of a hard time. I said, dude, you've lost some weight. He goes, yeah, so I think I found it. <laughs> you want it back? <laughs> he said, no. That, that pastors need to take care to be healthy. 
We just should. Um, because uh, being a pastor is one of the most stressful jobs that there is. Um, makes your hair fall out and your beard turn gray. That already happened before I came. Um, no, it's, it's stressful. That we, need to, we need to make sure that, that we're taking care of our health. So for a pastor, for an elder, um, that's something I, I think that, that we, need to, we need to watch. And, and, and if, if we had another elder pastor guy on staff and, and I saw that he wasn't taking care of himself health-wise, I, I feel like from Scripture that I need to go and say, hey, brother, um, you need to drink more coffee. But, um, that, that that's something... That's something that, that, that we need to address if that happens. Uh, we need to take care of it. So, so I know what you're saying. Good, this was all about pastors and elder guys. I could abide this week. No, you don't. Here's the thing. When Paul is writing to Timothy about the elders, he's telling us how to do church. How do we do this thing uh, that, that we call church or, or be the church? Uh, how do we function properly in the body of Christ? How do we do that? We do it by making sure that we're walking with the Lord. And, and I don't know about you, but, but one of the hardest things, having, having been a Christian now for a, over 30 years, one of the hardest things is we just kind of get to the place where, yeah, you know, it's okay, you know. I don't know if you have people that do this for you, but if somebody comes up and says, hey, how's it going with you and the Lord? You say, ah, you know, it's going pretty good. The idea is it, it's good enough. It's good enough. Let me challenge you with a thought this morning. And it's one that we're going to carry over into a lot of areas in our church life, but I want to start with our heart. What if we said today, as far as our relationship with the Lord is, good enough isn't good enough anymore? Good enough, just, it's just not good enough anymore. Getting by isn't really getting by. What if each one of us this morning as we get ready to, to take communion and if you've made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I would invite you to take communion with us this morning. What if we said as we, as we got ready to, to, to really focus on the price that was paid on the cross for us, his, his body and his blood. What if we said, God, good enough in my relationship with you just isn't good enough anymore. When someone asks me how my walk with you is going, I want to be able to say, in all honesty, amazing. God is doing amazing things in my life. I, I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus and, and he welcomes me, welcomes me home, I don't want to hear the words of Farmer Hoggett. That'll do. <laughs> Pig, I know. Some of you went there. I don't want Jesus to look at me when I come home and say, Larry, that'll do. That was good enough. I want him to say, well done. Well done. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to say, good enough isn't good enough in my relationship with God. Getting by isn't getting by. 
So let me challenge you today as the, as the deacons and ushers come forward to distribute the bread and the juice. And the way we'll do that is, is uh, you, you take a piece of bread and hold on to it and you contemplate the price that was paid on the cross for you. And, and then hold on to the juice as it comes by. And then together as a body, we'll take uh, the bread and juice. But let me challenge you as, you, as you hold the bread and as you hold the juice today, that in your heart with God, you say, God, good enough isn't good enough anymore. I don't want to settle for good enough. <laughs> I want to be changed. I want to be changed every day. I want to be so unlike me now next week that people don't even hardly recognize me, that they see more of you than they see of me. Good enough isn't good enough for me anymore. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would challenge our hearts. Don't let us just settle in our relationship with you. Don't let us just get by in our relationship with you. But, Lord, I, I pray that, that we would just today, everyone decide good enough isn't good enough anymore. We want our relationship with you to be ever-growing. And, and, God, we want to be ever-changing into the image of Jesus, your Son. God, we, we want to have the boldness to ask you to search our heart for sin. We want to have the boldness to say, God, whatever keeps me, uh, whatever would hinder me in my relationship with you, take it away. Because good enough just isn't good enough anymore. Father, as we, as we gather together around your table this morning, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Give us the wisdom to do what's right. And then give, give us the courage and the boldness to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.